uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, here's what the Bible said. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God, our Savior, and, uh, and Lord Jesus Christ, which is our hope. Unto Timothy, my son, my own son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia. Now, I want to just leave off reading there. And I know just reading that, you probably think, what in the world could that have to do with us? But I want to kind of, as I said, just set the stage for where we're going to be going in these nights. And I hope you'll listen. Uh, this book was written to a preacher. And, of course, uh, we have several preachers sitting around in here. But, you know, if you're not a preacher, maybe you can just listen in tonight and maybe the Lord will have something for you along the way tonight as well. Let's pray. Father, bless your word, I pray, and speak to our hearts tonight from this text and help us in these nights as we, as we maneuver our way through the uh, book of 1 Timothy. God, please speak to my own heart and encourage me and help me and help our preachers and then help our church, help our members. God, help people in this room. Speak to our hearts from this text tonight. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. As of the writing of 1 Timothy, most people believe that Timothy is now the pastor of the church that is located in the city of Ephesus. If you think back and from the book of Acts, you may remember that on his second missionary journey, the apostle Paul had taken the gospel and gone into the city of Ephesus. And while he's there, he's met with a great deal of, of adversity. The city of Ephesus was given over to the worship of a false goddess by the name of Diana. And uh, this false goddess, they worshiped this. In fact, they, most people made their living off the worship of this false goddess by the name of Diana. In fact, not only did they worship Diana, but evidently there was a piece of rock that fell uh, from the heaven. You know, from time to time, you, uh, they'll say one of these comets or whatever uh, will uh, maybe break apart entering our atmosphere, and certain pieces of it will fall down to the earth. Well, evidently, in the city of Ephesus, they had uh, gathered a piece of rock that had fallen off a planet or something and, and uh, made its way through the atmosphere and came down. And they'd even got that piece of rock and they'd started worshiping that as well. And Paul went to the city of Ephesus and began to preach against all this false kind of worship, this worship of these false gods. And as you might well expect, that kind of preaching was not met with open arms. And nevertheless, however, we're told that the Word of God prevailed and Paul actually stayed longer in the city of Ephesus than he did in any other city that he went to. In fact, for over two years, Paul preached the Word of God and labored in the city of Ephesus and as a result, a vibrant, a, an energetic, uh, a very exciting church was started uh, in the city of Ephesus. It was a thriving church. Many people had gotten saved. In fact, we read this over the book of Acts chapter 19 and verse number 20. The Bible said there in the city of Ephesus, as Paul labored and preached, so mightily grew the Word of God and prevailed. So a thriving church was started there in the city of Ephesus. And by the way, I'll remind you that we have a book of our Bible dedicated to the believers located in the city of Ephesus. It's called the book of Ephesians. Also, you may remember that over the book of the Revelation, we have a letter sent by our Lord to the pastor, to the angel, the messenger of the city of Ephesus. Uh, some people call those seven churches over there in Revelation 2 and 3, they call them the Super Bowl of churches. And the 
very first one that was mentioned was the church located in the city of Ephesus. God had a message. God wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus. Well, what happened was it seems evident that when Paul left the city of Ephesus to continue on his missionary journeys, that he left a young preacher by the name of Timothy there to pastor the church located in the city of Ephesus. Now, you might well imagine that Timothy, young Timothy, struggled, uh, struggled along following behind a man such as the Apostle Paul. And the reason that we have a letter in our Bible called 1 Timothy is that Paul is writing to young Timothy to encourage this young pastor who is pastoring this church located in the city of Ephesus. As I understand it, and as I have experienced it as well, there are three pitfalls that every young pastor must avoid when taking a church. Now, guys, I want you to sit up and listen to me for just a moment. I don't know everything, but I pastored two churches, and I kind of understand some of the pitfalls that goes along when a young preacher goes and becomes the pastor uh, of a church. They all start with the letter T. Here are the three pitfalls that young preachers have to avoid when taking a church. Number one, we would call that one a title. Boy, be careful of trying to gain a title. The second thing is is the word traditions. You've got to be careful how you maneuver through those traditions of that church. And then number three, there would be the word transition. A transition from one pastor to the next pastor. We've got to be careful about those three areas as pastors when we take different churches. We've got to be very careful about those titles. You see, you don't go to a church to earn a title. You know, there's uh, nothing wrong with getting an education, and if you go long enough and, and you get a title, a PhD or a DD or a BD or a DVD or whatever you get after your name. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. But always just remember that we're a sinner saved by the grace of God who have experienced the highest and holy calling that God could ever put upon a man's life to preach the Word of God. And it ought to humble us and not puff us up with pride that God would entrust us with the responsibility of pastoring a local New Testament church. Paul said over this same chapter in verse number 12, where he said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Ladies and gentlemen, I wasn't hunting uh, to be a preacher when God called me to preach. I was glad to be saved. I got saved when I was 16 years old, and when I got 18, God called me to preach. Man, I had my life planned out. I wanted to be a truck driver. You know, back in those days, that truck driving stuff was uh, pretty popular, you know, that uh, Smokey and the Bandit and all that stuff. So I wanted to get me a Wildcat hat, one of those goose down vests with a T-shirt on, and I wanted to drive a truck for a living. And by the way, nothing wrong being a truck driver, but God had other plans for my life. When I was 18 years old, God called me to preach. I started going to White Plains Baptist Bible Institute under preacher Carl Lackey and sat there on Mondays and Tuesday nights and tried to fill my mind with the Word of God. And ladies and gentlemen, through these years, God has blessed me. There's some churches that have honored me with this or honored me with that. But I still am to this day just plain old Brother Tim's all I am. I am a, a, a sinner saved by the grace of God that God has counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. I'm not seeking a title. I want the power of God. I'm not looking for some kind of recognition. We want Jesus to get the right. We got to be careful about those titles, guys. Listen, it ain't about you getting your sermons in the sword of the Lord. Who cares about that? Oh, my 
my soul. Who cares about all that stuff? Get preaching on the platform or going to this church and being a part of this camp. Who cares about all that? Man, I want to be in Jesus' camp. I got a platform to preach on, and I'm interested in preaching the Word of God, helping God's people and trying to reach the lost in these days. Don't worry about titles. And then you got to watch those traditions as well. I well remember when I went to my first church, I was 24 years old, and everybody in that church was older than me, except for maybe just a few children running around. Uh, my wife was only 19 years old. We were just, man, we were just freshly, uh, you know, very young. I went there, and my mindset was, I'm going to groom these people into the type of church members that I want them to be. And their mindset was, we got this young preacher, we're going to groom him into the kind of pastor that we want him to be. Well, it didn't take long for us to, to butt heads until I, I made up my mind that I'm not going to go to war with these people over things that don't even matter. Now, wait a minute. There were some things that did matter. But there's, there, there's a lot of things that goes on in churches that you've got to pick and choose your battles. You don't want to go in right away and start trying to change a bunch of stuff and, and upsetting the alpha card unless it's compromising with the Word of God. Man, just leave it alone and just wait it out. One of the great, I, I, I'm on the Internet. I love y'all folks down there, but i got to tell y'all what happened. When I first went there, when I first went there, they had this tradition that every Memorial Day, they'd go out in the graveyard and stand in the graveyard by the, by the gravesite of their loved ones. And we would have to, after having church, a service in church, we'd have to go out to the graveyard. And, and I think it started back there in the days of the Civil War when they had Decoration Day. You know, when them boys from the Confederacy would get killed, they would uh, decorate their graves, you know, Memorial Day and go out and remember that. And they called it Decoration Days. Well, that thing had carried over in that first church until every Memorial Day, I had to go out in the graveyard and stand. Those people would get out there and just carry on out there in that graveyard, stand by those tombstones. And I thought, don't be mad at me, but I thought that was the dumbest thing that I've ever, that I've ever seen in my life. But you know what I did? Every Memorial Day, I sucked it up and I walked out there in that graveyard and I stood there and I prayed with those dear people while they cried and just wailed in that graveyard until eventually... I let them out of that. Now, if I'd have went down there first thing and said, that's the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life. We ain't about to go out there. I'd have, I would have probably not been there too long. But I used a little common sense, and I worked our way out of that tradition. But then there's that transition. Now, I've got to tell you something. Any time that a church goes from one pastor to the next pastor, there is always a dangerous period of time known as the transition. When you begin to move from the personality of one preacher to the personality of the next preacher, when you begin to move from the expectations of one preacher to the expectations of the new preacher, or when you begin to move from the preaching style of one preacher to the preaching style of the next preacher, that's always a time of great peril for any church, that transition period. I remember well, 25, 24, 25 years ago when we went through that transition period, here at Woodland Baptist Church. Brother Gross had been here for 45 years or so and preached the Word of God faithfully. And a man led this church and loved the Lord Jesus and set the right kind of an example. And then when, when he came to the point that he retired, then the church voted me as the next pastor. But I'll tell you, there was a period of a transition that took place.
place there. Because no matter how much two men love the Lord, two men are not always going to be alike. And they're going to do things differently. But I want to encourage you young men, when you take a church, you've got to just use some common sense and not go in there and try to change everything overnight. Just wait. Just be patient. Just love those people and let them see that you're there. Go ahead and buy a plot in the graveyard. Let them know you come to stay a while. Buy a plot in the graveyard. Let them know you come to stay a while, but just wait it out and you can change people, lead people into change more so than you can drive them into change. Transition. I mean, you got to be careful about those periods of transition. So here's Timothy. And he finds himself in such a predicament. And as a young preacher, he's struggling to follow in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. I remember when I became pastor here, some one of my, our members, and they're here, they're still here today. And I appreciate the folks that just didn't give up and leave right away. And they said, hey, we think we'll ride along with this guy and see what's going to happen around here. But I well remember somebody coming up to me right after right after I become the pastor here and said, I'll tell you what, you got some mighty big shoes to fill around here trying to fill the shoes of Brother Gross. You know what I said to them, and this may have been a little bit of wisdom back then, but here's what I said to them. I said, man, there's no way I can fill his shoes. In fact, what we're going to do is we're going to take his shoes and we're going to nail them right up here on this wall and we're going to walk by and just admire those shoes and I think I'll just try to fill my own shoes. And you got to just, you got to use some wisdom, guys. You can't go in and just try to turn everything over to start with. You got to be careful through those periods of transitions. So here's Timothy. Boy, he's struggling now. Uh, such a man, trying to follow a man like the Apostle Paul, you can well imagine that he's struggling to find his way. In fact, there's two or three statements that's made in this book that leads me to believe he's really struggling. Turn over to chapter 4 now, 1 Timothy chapter 4, and and look at verse number 12. And here's what Paul says to him in verse number 12. Let no man despise by you. So evidently he's pastoring a lot of people, most of the people that are older than him. And he says, all right, now don't go in there and cower down. Don't, don't disrespect those people. Go in there, however, set the right kind of an example and lead those people in these areas. You don't have to take a back seat. God can use you in your youthfulness and God can bless your life, so don't let them despise your youth. Hey, go in there, be an example, have some respect, have some maturity about you, and go in there and lead that church. Is that not good advice? And then look over in chapter 5. I'm going to deal with this verse, so don't get all bent out of shape, but I'm just skipping over it right now, just for a point's sake. But evidently, Timothy trying to pastor this church, had really got not only uh, low spiritually, but he also become very low physically. He's having some physical problems trying to pastor this church at Ephesus. And the reason I say that is if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 5 and look at verse number 23, Paul talks about Timothy's upset stomach. Now, that's right. Look at verse 23. He said, drink no longer water. I'll deal with this. I'll deal with this when we get there. But use a little wine, notice, for thy stomach's sake and thine often in front. So evidently, he's eat up with ulcers. Let me tell you something. Trying to pastor a church will cause you to be eat up with ulcers. 
There are those people in the church that can never be pleased. I told my Sunday school class this morning, there are two classes of people in every church. You remember that verse over in Psalms 84, and it's about verse 12 or verse number 13, and it says this, No good thing will the Lord withhold from them that walk uprightly. He will give grace and glory. Now, the two classes of people that are in every church is the grace class and the glory class. That's right. There are some people when you see them coming, you look up to heaven and say, God, give me grace. Lord, give me grace. And then there are some people when you see them coming, you thank God, look up to heaven and say, glory to God, they're going to come with some good news. There's the grace crowd. God, give me grace. When you see their name pop up on the phone, oh, Lord, give me grace. And then hit the ignore button. And then there's a crowd when their name pops up on the phone. You say, glory to God. That's a good man right there. The grace crowd. And By the way, can I ask you, which crowd are you in? You say, I don't know. Well, come up and ask me after church. I'll let you know. The grace crowd and the glory crowd. And I'm telling you, Timothy was struggling. I mean, everybody in the church evidently was older than him. He's eat up with ulcers trying to pastor this crowd. And then Paul writes him this letter in verse number, go back to chapter 1 and look at verse number 3. And Paul said this, as I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus. Paul said, if you'll notice the word that Paul used, Timothy, I besought you. I find it interesting that is the same word that Paul used when praying about the thorn in the flesh that he had. That's right. Look at this verse right here over in 2 Timothy chapter, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, there it is. And Paul is writing about this thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan that was buffeting him. And man, I mean, he was really, really struggling. Paul was. And, and as he prayed, Paul said, for this thing, talking to the Lord, I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart. And that word means to beg to the point of tears. And what he's saying to young Timothy is, Timothy, I begged you to the point of tears. You can't leave Ephesus. You've got to stay there. I know it's difficult. I know everybody may be older. I, I know you're struggling physically. I know there's struggles that go along, but I'm telling you, I need you to stay in the city of Ephesus. So he writes to young Timothy, he says, okay, now I besought you, just Stay there. You know, there are any time that God opens the doors of spiritual opportunities, there's always satanic opposition. You understand that, don't you? Anything that's moving creates friction. You do understand that. That's the reason you've got to have oil in the motor of your car because when all that stuff starts moving around in there, it's got to have some oil to keep it from, uh, uh, keep it from uh, exploding, from um, rubbing together and getting so hot till it just quits working all together and it just melts together. Thank God for the oil. Anything that's moving creates friction. And ladies and gentlemen, if a church is moving, there's always going to be friction there. The devil's not going to let us just go out here and try to win the world and sit back and just, uh, you know... Uh, egg us on and applaud us and shout for us? No, sir. Anytime there's spiritual opportunities, there's always satanic opposition. Many of you that run those bus routes, you understand that. I mean, when you start, you have a good Sunday and fill your bus up, look out. 
I remember when we used to have that the bus route up in Mount Airy or the one in Pilot Mountain or the one around the old church down there. But any time we had a good Sunday and the church bus was full, I would go home and tell my wife, Oh, honey, hang on. It's coming this week. When there's great spiritual opportunities, there's always great satanic opposition. Might as well just mark it down. It's going to happen. But Paul said, Timothy, you got to stay there. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't resign. Don't leave. Just hang in there, son, and preach the Word of God. And then we come to the verses tonight. I want to just, and, and I'm introducing this, but I want you to look at verse 1 and verse number 2 because we meet the three people that this book is all about. Three of them. First of all, Paul. Look at verse number 1. Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to call this, the first person that we're introduced to here in the book of Timothy is this. We're, we're, we're reading about, number one, the old man who is the writer. And that, of course, is the apostle Paul. He's an old man now. In fact, over in the book of Philemon, just a few books over, here's what he says about himself in verse number nine. He says this. Yep. Right there. Yet for love's sake, I'd rather beseech thee, being such an one as Paul. What did he say? You know something? Paul is nearing the end of his life. In fact, when he writes this second letter to young Timothy, we know those are the last words that he's ever going to write in this walk of life. The last book that he wrote was 2 Timothy. So he's, he's nearing now the end of his life. He is now an older man. Most people think he's probably in his mid to to late 60s. And by the way, the word Paul, you know what the name Paul means? It means little. That's what it means. It means little. You know, most people be, believe that Paul was just a little man. Most people think Paul was probably a very short man, barely over about five foot tall. He was bow-legged, bald-headed, with very bad eyesight. He makes mention several times in his letters about how he's having to write with large letters. And most people think that he had terrible eyesight. In fact, he made mention over in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 10 about his bodily presence being weak. Paul was saying, you know, in our term, and I would say, man, they ain't much to look at, are they? And Paul was saying to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse number 10, I'm not much to look at. But can I tell you something? That may have been true in the physical sense, but bless your heart, let me tell you, that little short, bald-headed, bow-legged man in the spiritual sense was a giant, a man of God in the spiritual sense. And we know how it all began for old Paul, don't we? It started back in the days when he was called Saul. Remember, he was Saul. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. There are two Sauls in our Bible, one in the Old Testament, one in the New Testament. Both of them are from the tribe of Benjamin. And the tribe of Benjamin was the wolf tribe. Uh, they had characteristics like a wolf. And that Saul in the Old Testament was hunting down God's anointing, throwing javelins at him. I mean, trying to, uh, trying to ambush him in his home, trying to kill him. Oh boy, that Saul in the Old Testament, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was like a wolf on the trail of God's anointing. Well, let me tell you, this old Saul in the New Testament was not much better. He was also from the tribe of Benjamin. In fact, when he got saved, he was on the Damascus road, had some letters in his hand, going up there to arrest some more 
more of God's people, haul them down and throw them in jail. He hunted God's people like a pack of wolves on the trail of wounded little sheep. Oh, aren't you glad God had a plan for that old boy? Well, and he was on his way up to Damascus that day uh, to arrest some more of God's people. He had just stoned old Stephen to death. Remember that? He held their clothes while they stoned old Stephen to death. That old, that, that, that old Baptist deacon in Acts chapter 7, after he preached, they were so mad. The Bible said that they literally stoned him to death. But right before he died, that old Baptist deacon looked up to heaven, saw Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, and with a look of glory on his face said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. I don't think old Saul ever got that out of his mind. I think every night when he laid down trying to go to bed, he'd see the glow of that old deacon. As he looked up and said, Lord Jesus, lay not this sin. I think that haunted him to the very day that he got saved. God brought that old boy under conviction. In fact, in Acts chapter 9, the Bible said, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. God was goading and pricking him in the side. He was already under conviction. And buddy, on the road to Damascus that day, old Saul got gloriously saved by the grace of God. And God called that old boy to be an apostle, which means to, to be sent on a mission with a message from his master. And Paul's mission was to take the message of his master to the multitudes. And boy, did he do a good job of that. So we have here in the opening verse, we have the old man who is the writer. But number two, not only do we have that, next we have this. We have the young man who's the reader. Now look again in our text. And the Bible said, Paul, in verse number one, and then he says this. Here's who I'm writing to. Unto Timothy, my own son in the faith. Now, he calls him his son. Now, from every indication of the Bible, oh, Paul was never married. So if he was never married, then we know he's probably not talking about Timothy being his son in the biological sense. He's not talking about Timothy being his son in the physical sense, but he's talking about Timothy being his son in the spiritual sense. By the way, you got any children? I was preaching not long ago down there at Brother Daniel Delaney's church down there at Farmer. And uh, I was preaching not so awful long ago, and, and this, this guy, I'm going to say he's probably in his 20s now, he come up to me and he said, uh, uh, Brother Tim, he said, you know something, you my grandpa. I said, huh? He said, you're my grandpa. I said, how so? He said, well, you led my mom and daddy to the Lord when you pastored over there in Davidson County. They led me to the Lord. You're their father. You're my grandpa in the faith. Have you got any children? Is there anybody that could come up to you tonight and say, hey, I'm your son in the faith. I'm your daughter. Paul is writing. He's talking about having children in the faith. Now, again, I kind of got it in my mind how all this happened. I can just see how Paul is related to Timothy in a spiritual sense. You see, Paul went into an area called Galatia in Acts chapter 16, 14, 15, 16, and that area consisted of cities like Iconium and Lystra and Derbe, and when he went there and started preaching, the Word of God, there was a young boy in the congregation by the name of Timothy. Now, we're told this about old Timothy. We're told that his daddy was a Greek, which from every outward indication was his daddy was not saved. But he had a mama, and he had a grandma that really loved the Lord. You know it's sad when a believer marries an unbeliever. I think about some of our precious girls in our church, and they save themselves all those years, and then they get to those years and they think they're going to die an old maid, 
and they just give themselves to the first old jack leg that comes along, got the spirituality of a cockroach or a rock out here in the parking lot, and they give themselves after saving themselves all that time, they give themselves some old boy that don't have a spiritual bone in his body. Is that not a shame? I don't know how all that came to pass with old Lois and Eunice. I don't know how all that worked out. But I'll tell you what, he may have had an unsaved daddy, but he had a mama and he had a grandma that loved the Lord. In fact, we're told over in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that from a child they began to put into the heart and into the mind of young Timothy the Word of God. Can I say to every mama, we may have some ladies in our church tonight and you're married to a man that's not saved. He don't care anything about God. God, but that don't mean you can't put the Word of God into your children. And let me just say to us grandparents tonight, one of the greatest things we can ever do for our grandchildren is to put the Word of God in their heart. Paul said, from a child thou hast known the Holy Scripture. So mama and grandma was putting into the heart of young Timothy the Word of God, and Paul came into that area preaching. And first thing you know, when he gave an invitation, here come young Tim walking down the aisle. And he gave his hand to Paul and he gave his heart to Jesus. And young Timothy was gloriously saved by the grace of God. I can see two old deacons down at Walmart the next day. One of them met the other and said, you wasn't in church. I missed you yesterday. He said, no, I wasn't feeling good. He said, what happened? Well, he said, not much. Didn't much happen yesterday. He said, there's a young boy by the name of Timothy. You know Lois and Eunice. You know their boy. He walked down the aisle and got saved, but really didn't a whole lot happen that day. Didn't a whole lot happen. Hey, can I tell you something? One of the greatest things that could ever happen to any child is for that child at an early age to walk down an aisle, give their hand to the preacher, and their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the greatest thing. We ought to rejoice. By, by the way, I rejoice when old people get saved. What a blessing to see older people come to Jesus. But I'll tell you what ought to really excite us. When these bus kids walk down these aisles, when they get in that baptistry after they've given their heart to Jesus over there in those churches, I'm telling you, that ought to excite us. You know why? Because when a young person gets saved, not only is their soul saved, but if they'll live for God, their entire life will be saved. Somebody asked old D.L. Moody one time, said, how'd the meeting go last night? He said, well, we had two and a half people saved last night. They said, two and a half people? He said, yeah. They said, you mean two adults and one child? He said, no, I mean two children and one adult. You know why? I mean, buddy, when, when somebody gets saved 80 years old, and that is a miracle, we ought to rejoice about that, but their life's just about gone. But you get some of these little children saved by the grace of God and them dedicate their life for the Lord. They can live through their life and not have the scars that many of us have on our life of things that we've seen, things that we've done, things that we've experienced. Buddy, they can, they can leave all those scars out of their life if they'll get saved while they're young. That's why the Bible said in Ecclesiastes 12:1, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. When the evil days come not and the days draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no... Can I tell you something? Give your heart to Jesus while you're young and you won't be uh, burdened and shackled with the scars of a life spent out in sin away from God and have to live with the memories of what happened in your life. Give your heart to Jesus while you're young. Oh, yeah, and Paul is writing now to this young, young preacher by the name of Timothy. So here we go. We're done. So we have the old man who's the writer. That's Paul. We have the young man who's the reader, that's Timothy. But now watch this. We have the God man who's the sinner. Not S-I-N-N-E-R, the center, the C-E-N-T-E-R. You see, you know what this book is about? It's about Jesus. 
Look in verse number 1. Paul mentions him two times in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Then a little bit later, he said, by the commandment of God. And did you notice he called God our Savior? Did you notice that? And God our Savior. And Lord Jesus. You say, preacher, I thought Jesus was the Savior and God was the Father. Is it, is it true that Jesus is the Savior and God is the Father? Or is God the Savior and Jesus his Son? Yes. Yes. Amen. And then he comes to verse number 2 and talks about him again right there in that last phrase. In fact, I went through the book, and can you, do you know 21 different times in this book, Paul mentions the Lord Jesus. Can I tell you, it's all about him. The whole Bible is about Jesus. Can I tell you something? Every lesson that we teach around here ought to be about Jesus. Every message that we preach around here, somebody mentioned the Lord Jesus. Every song that's sung, somebody ought to stand up and say something about Jesus. When we pray, we pray to Jesus. It's all about, if you come to church and we don't talk about Jesus, friend, we have missed the mark. It is all about Jesus. And then I like this, and I'm coming in for a landing now, but look what he does there in verse number 2. He says, Unto Timothy, mine own son in the faith. And then he says this, Grace, mercy, and peace. Grace. Watch this. Grace. Grace, we get our, our English name, Grace, Charis, our English name Karen from that. So we could say in verse number two, uh, verse number two we could say Grace. Or Karen. And then look at the word peace. We get our English name Irene from that. So we could say grace, Karen, and peace, Irene. But did you know that Karen and Irene have a sister? Her name is Mercy. Look again at verse 2. Grace, mercy, and peace. Can I tell you, every preacher needs some grace. <laughs> Every preacher needs a whole lot of mercy. And every preacher needs peace. Every Christian needs grace. Grace keeps us, grace gives us what we don't deserve. Every preacher needs mercy. That keeps us from getting what we do deserve. And every person needs peace for all the disturbances of life. Now, I preach this whole message to get to this and we're done. There's two things we're going to learn in this book as we make our way through it. Number one, we're going to learn how to build a church. We're going to learn how to build a church. And number two, we're going to learn how to be a Christian. I'm interested in those two things. I want to build a church. I want to be a Christian. And as we move through this book, Paul's going to give us the details. What to look for when you go looking for a preacher. What to look for when you go looking for some deacons. What to do when you come to... He's going to talk all about how to build a church. And then when we get over in those last chapters, he's going to talk all about how to be a Christian. I want to encourage you to come along for a ride in the book of 1 Timothy. And I pray God will help it to help our church. Use it to help our church. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father...